Sean, I warned you and our audience that we shouldn't discuss topics that would bore them to tears. No, However, yes. you want to start And with I that, brought it up with uh, that very thing. Simon is test driving cars, and if anyone knows anything mm. about Greg, Greg is a massive nerd. And he's the kind of loser who will make a spreadsheet, a goddamn spreadsheet. <laughs> John, spreadsheets are cool. Mm. And making an informed purchase is also cool. You're welcome <laughs> for the spreadsheet, by the way. The ladies get so wet when they see. Indeed, they do. How how informed. This Greg's is what I advise the friend and his two hundred fifty thousand plus mile Honda Accord. They see there's a sensible man, and immediately just the panties are soaked. <laughs> now you instead in- he went and bought a, mo- a Model Three. <laughs> God bless him. Stupid, stupid, fool, fool. Even what I know. Oaf. Even me, a Philistine knows. Dumb idea. Bad idea. Yeah, that's that's oafish. First, mm-hmm. you, yeah, don't. Don't buy into Tesla's lies. Not that I'm a Tesla <laughs> hater or anything. Although this being the age of the internet, you're the one or the other. Mm. But I mean, uh, we can. We can. I, we can I also don't buy the fallacy of a new car. You don't necessarily need a new car. But there's now, no... granted, I I got suckered into this because I didn't want to get into a car filled with somebody else's farts. However, <laughs> I find having filled it with my own farts, it's something I could probably live with. No, but that's the thing, Greg. The used car market is has bottomed out. There is no more used car market. You have to buy new these days. Who said that? Where'd you read that? <laughs> because you probably read that. Cars... You probably read that in the pages of like Bloomberg's like auto sales record. <laughs> Greg, you know I only read Forbes. Okay. Spawn, yeah, SpawnCon <laughs> by GM. <laughs> no, you see, the thing is, cars are now so reliable and so good. People are holding on to them for like 10, 12, 15 years. That's what I plan. Well, oh, okay. That's well. No, you're exaggerating. Especially not in Southern California, where the market that. Cars run much longer in Southern California where it does, they don't have the rigors of bad weather and salt on the road and things mm. like that. This is also so true. So there's, there's more of a new car market. So you're looking at the new glamorous models and, they, hey, and say, hey, why can't that be me? Mm. I don't think that's it because I bought my car in Taxachusetts, as you recall. Yes, I, I recall. I you, bought, you bought a new car. You bought the cheapest new car in, available in America at the time. Exactly, and it was it was perfect for the the uh, it was perfect for the Massachusetts winters. Let me tell you guys. <laughs> oh boy, who needs all four wheels to move? I say that's just. <laughs> it's exactly, John. You don't. You you've identified a fallacy there. Mm-hmm. It's some people think, oh, I drive in the snow, I'm going to need four-wheel drive. First of all, four-wheel drive just makes your car heavier, less fuel efficient, mm. and brake worse because it's got more It's got more car to basically brake. Now, we, we test drove a uh, Subaru, which had all-wheel drive, and I actually yes. thought that ride was quite smooth, and the handling was quite nice because they, got, they got them extra shocks, and the extra shocks make you clip the apex better or whatever. <laughs> this is no, car they, speak, They're people. renowned for a more comfortable ride, and yes, all their cars come standard with four-wheel drive however did you find it slow at all not necessarily because all the cars we test drove were pretty slow <laughs> okay got it. <laughs> we and that's going... where the car market's going people want safe cars so they don't necessarily want performance yeah exactly we are, we went with a lot of kind of mid-sized crossover-esque kind of vehicles mm. so that's what we're looking at right now even though the price point ooh, color exactly it's... look for a sedan yes it doesn't have the high riding position also, it doesn't have the pretensions of being an off-road adventure vehicle, <laughs> like the Honda. The, excuse me, the Hyundai. That's probably intentional on Hyundai's part. The Hyundai Kona and its stupid black black plastic bumpers and wheel arches and stuff like that. Yeah, the Kona. Forget all that. The Kona feels very cheap. Like mm. the Kona is like there's something like I know the Kona. <laughs> there goes that Hyundai sponsorship. <laughs> 
the Kona on paper is like, yes, this is the most economically sound uh, device that's ever been produced to go on the road. But then you get into it and it's like, okay, here's your buttons and your wheels. And here's where your Bubba goes for when you need your tum-tum time. Like it, <laughs> it babies you. It feels like a, like a gigantic Fisher Price toy because it's plasticky and it tries to distract you with all its bells and whistles. There's something about it that just kind of feels uh, cheap. Cheap? Okay. All right. yeah. Fair enough. Uh, I, don't, I, I hate to say that because, again, the the logical Spock center of my brain says, yes, this is a truly efficient car. Look at all these devices <laughs> telling me what I can, can and cannot do. I think this is efficient. Well, also, how did you feel about the price point? Because the issue, not just with crossovers, or with efficiency and handling because the center of gravity is higher, blah, blah, blah. Also, they're far more expensive than sedans. So you're not, probably better not off in a sedan. That or a much, not, not that much more. We we could get okay. one for 19, so not not a huge price differential there. Okay. I mean, unless you're unless you're pinching pennies like we are, so maybe we will. Okay. Who knows? But the All thing right. is, we're going to have to move furniture again one day, Greg, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know that for a fact? Or? <laughs> yes, we're still renting, so yes. <laughs> okay. Then why not just make a one-time purchase of, or excuse me, of one-time rental of a truck and then not have to be saddled oh. with the same payment oh, every I'm sorry, month Greg. for the next five to six years. We all know the climate change apocalypse is due any time now. Are we going to rent a truck when that's due? I don't think so. Okay. okay. We're getting out of there like bats out of hell. All right. Then why are you keeping your stuff if you know the apocalypse is imminent? <laughs> because you need something to barter with. You need crafting <laughs> supplies, Greg. Jeez. It's like you haven't thought about this at all. I gotta be honest, I, I haven't. Uh, no. I, I I welcome the apocalypse. Let me tell you about a game called Fallout seventy six. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You're saying there's time travel in this reality as well. <laughs> oh, of course. <laughs> Unless it's twenty seventy six, and I don't I don't know what 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 vision of the future do you see, John? What 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 vision? Of the, what what do you foresee happening? Oh well, I mean. <sighs> I definitely see a collapse of the government because, you know, things aren't going to turn around any day now. Now, what will that look like? Um, you know, I'm hoping we don't go too feudal a society, but I think we'll get a, a return to a kind of nice, even, stabilized local economy. That's what I'm hoping anyway, until, you know, the dominionists break through and, you know, decide <laughs> to take over the territory, you know, claiming God is the one, the way, the truth, and life, and, you know, install their dictatorships or whatever. But I think we'll live, we'll learn to live with that as well. So I don't know. That's what I'm envisioning. That's what I'm preparing for. I see it falling back on state governments first. Mm. And the more unified ones will form their society. Other ones that are a little bit more divisive, say, that have their political parties alternate every election cycle, for instance, those are going to fall into anarchy. <laughs> oh, yeah, those suckers. Oh, yeah. look, what bar look what bipartisanship gets you. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's their fault for being idiots who's, who can't remember more than two weeks in the past and just like, I hate my politicians now. <laughs> The TV news says, because I, I sat on my ass watching cable news for the last... <laughs> Joe Scarborough does not approve, so neither do I. Yeah. <laughs> Joe Scarborough is not talking about these bumfuck elections, <laughs> local elections, okay. or governor's races. <laughs> He's not on the pulse of every town hall across America? Mm, right? Unfortunately. <laughs> this is why MSNBC is last in the ratings. They don't have exactly. the finger on the pulse. Yeah. It's well deserved, if you ask me. This is a movie podcast, by the way. Yes. <laughs> hey, hey, welcome. <laughs> Battle of Algiers is a revolutionary film from 1966. I'm glad you went right into it. I had a terrible transition uh, yeah. plan. <laughs> Rated by Sight and Sound, it's one of the greatest films of all time. <laughs> 
Anyway, yes. John, you and I revisit a classic film that we haven't seen yet. Mm-hmm. Either one of us hasn't seen yet. In this instance, both of us haven't seen it. And uh, we discuss its cultural value today and whether it uh, holds up as a classic or earns that classic reputation. Mm-hmm. And so this week we decided to revisit a movie I hadn't even I, I, I knew it only by title, no reputation whatsoever. And we are discussing the 1966 film Battle of Algiers. first going to reveal my ignorance i thought this was a french movie I mean, it kind of is it kind of is well it's yeah it's actually french an adjacent. italian production but it's filmed in french and arabic mm-hmm. i mean and i think it was sponsored by the algerian government right maybe i can't i can't exactly remember the or at least every detail of the production i mean it's it's an extraordinary that this film got made because it does recount Basically, Algeria's breakaway from French colonialism in th- in the fifties, culminating in a, a final declaration of independence in nineteen sixty. Mm-hmm. And so, I had no idea what this movie was kind of about going in. And watching it, I am glad we watched it. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it's a very good film. It's very informative. And but it's one of those movies that I can't help but feel like this might have been better served as a documentary. Because if you're going to make a fiction film, you want to find the drama. You're trying to dramatize mm. it, and I don't. Th- I think this movie, for all its its good points, doesn't quite get to the heart or the emotionality that I think it potentially could have. Uh, first case of contention. I don't remember a single character's name. <laughs> you don't remember Ali, the star of the show? Well, I barely. <laughs> no, they repeat his name about fifty thousand times. That's the only reason I remember. <laughs> okay, but. See, yeah, I didn't I, want to assume it was Ali because that would be racist. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah, what you're kind of speaking to is the style, and this director, Gilo Panac, uh, I'm just going to screw this up, <laughs> Pontecorvo, was heavily inspired by Italian neorealism and strove for realism in every possible respect. That includes casting non-professionals and actual, to his credit, actual na- uh, native Northern Africans and native mm-hmm. Algerians in this in these roles. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, you're right, because they're not trained actors, they're not being histrionic at all, and so they're probably reacting in, in a way that's realistic. However, also they're not conversating in the way you expect a movie to, where the drama is maximized or, you, or information is explained or exposition is detailed or they as you said, characters' names are made, or they go through these kind of arcs. Mm-hmm. And the other thing about the style is it's very stark. Um, the timeline jumps around a lot, so we don't spend any too much of any time in any one moment or scene. 
And so I do think the movie is great in terms of its its style and it's, the way its inform, uh, information is kind of delivered. Like, again, I had no idea that this happened. I had no idea mm-hmm. of the politics of the situation at all. But I, I didn't find myself getting super invested into the story, at least until the third act where it kind of gets where the the conflict is escalated so much you can't help but get invested because oh boy things get bloody real quick <laughs> yes yeah, so this was a as implied by the title this was not a nonviolent uprising <laughs> or diplomatic <laughs> declaration of independence this was a, a pretty much a war mm-hmm. and this is where i gotta lay my cards on the table i think the Battle of Algiers is a masterpiece. This is mm. such a, a masterfully done movie because I was watching it, as you said in that third act, I was watching it just anticipating the trivia to say, oh, and this is where they cut in real newsreel footage. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> and t- t- to uh, Ponte Corvo's credit, none of, all of it is staged. This, is all, this was all filmed strictly in a fictionalized way. Mm-hmm. But you're so convinced between the crowds that he gathered and the amount of smoke that he could cut a billow and the documentary techniques he's using between uh, the way that characters run throughout the Casbah, the which is where most of this movie is set, um, the way it's cut, like all of that. It's such an impeccably well-done job. I was completely drawn in. It doesn't matter that, you know, characters aren't dramatized in the way of traditional movie is. I was just so gripped by the filmmaking itself mm. that, I, that I was completely drawn in. Uh, that said, it does leave some of it to your interpretation, namely the subject matter and whether what side it comes down on. <laughs> well, I do think, obviously, it comes down on the uh, colonized, not the colonizers, yeah. absolutely. But it does indulge in a bit of other sideisms, like whataboutisms, because both sides don't come off smelling like roses. Uh, obviously, the French are the ones who have occupied this territory and are brutalizing and torturing uh, the people when it's convenient for them, kind of keeping them under the boot heel when things kind of get out of hand. But then the Algerians are also bombing innocents and also running around just shooting anyone who's French, you know, because they have all this kind of pent-up aggression and they don't really know what justice looks like. So on the one hand, like, no one comes out smelling perfect, or at least no, no one side is really completely justified in this fight. Attention, attention. Le vol 432 en direction de Paris décollera avec un retard de 20 minutes. Oui, oui, on sait sûrement. Après, vous voulez un autre martini Quel mal donné. Tout de suite. Tu comprends Moi, je n'aimerais aller en Italie. Ma femme n'aime pas l'Espagne. Elle dit qu'on bronze plus vite en Italie. leave it up to your own interpretation and as a result um, you can take away from it some uh, interesting uh, <laughs> uh, interesting points of view for instance I, I one piece of trivia I was surprised to hear is that this was the um, uh, it was the favorite movie of notar- notorious terrorist Andres Bader of the <laughs> Bader Meinhof complex <laughs> because he probably so identified with the the dissidents in colonial Algeria mm-hmm. so I I think you're right. It, 
I don't know if it's to the movie's detriment or its credit that it kind of does leave it to your own interpretation, because you can also say that the French commander played by the film's only professional actor, Jean Martin. Oh, and you can tell, because he he commands that screen as much as he commands those (laughs) troops, let me tell you guys. (laughs) He is a handsome man. But yeah, it just shows the the kind of contrast, because although this is basically the one half of it set in the Casbah following Ali and his cohort of in the uh, FLN, mm-hmm. this uh, nationalist movement to, to basically win their independence. Then we do go to this Hollywood production that's also scored by Ennio Marconi and stars <laughs> this professional French actor. Like, you can kind of see the difference, but I think it is to the, the movie's credit because, like, it doesn't portray him as, like, cartoonishly evil or anything, nor does it kind of just portray him as a hero, but mm-hmm. it's clear that he's he's a kind of stabilizing presence and somebody who, somebody who basically wants to restore order in a way. Oh, absolutely! And the the he bring the actor brings it across perfectly. He's always stable. He's always like uh, arms behind, like arms folded in some fashion. His legs are always spread apart. He's always he's always the kind of most stable presence in any scene he's in. And again, for a movie where I was struggling remembering any characters' names or wondering, have we seen them before? Like yeah. him and Ali were the only ones who kind of stand out. If they were the Tom Hanks as Captain Phillips and the Smalley guy, if this were, <laughs> if this were that movie, let's say Bakard Abdi John. Sorry, on. sorry, Bakard Abdi. What's he up to these days? I wonder. I, I, he's been in a few movies. Mm-hmm. Again, playing your your requisite I don't know, Northern African or something. So. Okay. Although I believe he's from Ethiopia. Anyway. anyway. Um, or, no, Somali. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Mr. Abdi. Par leur vrai nom. Et si on veut tout dire, parlons de la torture. Compris. Et vous, vous ne posez aucune question Les questions ont déjà été posées. Je voudrais que les réponses soient plus précises, c'est tout. Essayons d'être précis. Le mot torture n'apparaît pas dans nos directives. Nous avons toujours parlé d'interrogatoire en tant que seule méthode valable pour une action de police contre une organisation clandestine. Le FLN, de son côté, demande à chacun de ses membres qu'en cas de capture, il conserve le silence pendant 24 heures. Après quoi, il peut parler. L'organisation a ainsi le temps nécessaire pour rendre inutilisable n'importe quel renseignement. Et nous Quelle forme d'interrogatoire devrions-nous adopter Celui en usage dans la procédure civile qui, pour le moindre délit, dure des mois La légalité n'est pas toujours commode, mon colonel. Est-ce que celui qui fait exploser des bombes dans les lieux publics respecte la légalité Lorsque vous avez posé cette question à Ben Midi, souvenez-vous de ce qu'il a répondu. But I do want to get to some of the other kind of... This, this, even though this is trying to be as close to real life as possible, it is using the filmic language. I, like you said, the time jumps around. Mm-hmm. Uh, we kind of start in terminus res. There's this uh, hostage situation. Ali and his other cohorts, including a young child who factors into the plot heavily, are kind of trapped by these encroaching French forces. And then we flash back to, I think the movie starts in like 1953, mm-hmm. and then goes to these series where he falls in with the FLN, and also just some of the some of the um, kind of crackdowns, like the martial law they're imposing to uh, suppress dissidents, or as we learn later, terrorism. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, I mean, so I was a little confused because the opening is a French soldier who was drafted. I was kind of confused on what the opening scene is. Oh, so 
Yes. Well, that actually, I believe that's actually, that guy is actually played by the author of the book on which this movie's based. He was a former oh. FLN oh, cohort. Yes. And basically, he's tortured to basically give away Ali and the remaining dissident's position. Mm-hmm. And so they not drafted, but basically to conceal him and protect him from. Although they bring him to the actual uh, location for the thing, <laughs> so it's it's not really hidden. Anyway, I. I you know the details again are sparse because we're striving for realism here and so like characters don't speak in exposition they don't use each other's names frequently so that Mm -hmm. the audience for the benefit of the audience to learn a character's name so yeah there is some like catching up to do Uh, the most compelling sequence for me is when um yeah they institute checkpoints where they have to check on each citizen Mm -hmm. and they basically take three northern african women who i think uh excuse me three muslim women who would, by all accounts, probably um, t- to practice um, like cover cover themselves. Instead, mm-hmm. they doll themselves up like regular European tourists and sneak in to basically <laughs> bombs via their purses. Mm-hmm. And that's how easily they get through the checkpoint. So I, I do love, like, I was compelled, even though we don't really learn who those women are, or, you know, do they explain their motivation? Like, my son was killed by a French soldier, you know. <laughs> it's not playing by those obvious movie rules. It's still, it's still like, kind of compelling to watch and see this scene unfold, even though some of the details are missing. And I think that's maybe where your mileage varies on this movie, is whether you like it to play by those traditional film standards, like with a, 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 a characterized pro- protagonist and, you know, clear stakes and everything, mm-hmm. um, or you're kind of willing to let that go and get drawn into kind of the world exactly and would it surprise you and i think i'm not surprised that you love this movie so much is because this was yeah. a big inspiration for one of christopher nolan's fine films <laughs> dunkirk yes and dunkirk i had yeah i had very similar feelings for which is the star of the movie is the pace it's the momentum yeah. <laughs> it's 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 the feeling of war it's yeah. and you know you don't really know the people that you're stuck in the foxhole with you're just kind of there and it's all about that immediacy which this movie does capture quite well not so much in the first act, and I think that's where most of my kind of problems lie, is because, like I was talking about with that opening scene, we get this man who's, you know, freed from prison. They're basically dressing him up in his garb, and that in and of itself is like its own kind of torture, like they're kind of taking his own identity away from him. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, he lets out this, you know, primal yell, this horrible screech. And then we cut to Ali going about his day, and, oh, these French, they're jerks. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. it, it, you know, we start off with that big, powerful scene and then we kind of we kind of meander for a bit and then things kind of escalate again and it's like oh boy and then we, you know like you said all those great bombing scenes like mm-hmm. the one you were talking about you know in particular well great the, great in the way they're filmed yes <laughs> Not great, great in that the they way. happened <laughs> and immense they were immense <laughs> we're yeah. talking about scale here people <laughs> but uh, for me like again i i really struggle with getting over that kind of hump that that mm. you know that ledge because I felt the same way about Dunkirk where it's like uh, but give me something a little bit more to invest in that's all. <laughs> okay, now, so what would you like to have seen more of? Like say the movie's told exclusively through Ollie's eyes, mm-hmm. basically, it, it, getting into this terrorist organization or excuse me separatist organization. They don't become terrorists until later, mm-hmm. and or like I don't know. Is there anything? Is there anything about the way the story unfolds that you felt like, oh, that's a missed opportunity for me to kind of emotionally invest in a little bit more. I wish they spent a little more time with Ali's family because they play mm-hmm. a big, important role towards the climax. If this movie has a climax, it yeah. is Ali. I, d- I don't believe they're his literal family. But. <laughs> yeah, but it, I wish 
I wish it kind of felt like it was more leading up to this moment. The closest thing the movie has to a climax is Ali is kind of held, not held, he, he's pushed to a point where he's stuck in this building and they give him a chance to leave peacefully, to surrender. And he says no. And the French, uh, the French Foreign Legion, I guess, mm-hmm. say, sees no other option but to just blow up the building. And again, there's that tension for a while. Like, are they really going to do it? Are they really just going to kill this man, regardless of how innocent he is? Are they just going to, you know, just destroy a whole building without due process? And uh, spoiler alert, turns out they do. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, he's not the only one in that building. And I wish we kind of spent more time with those other people in the building. We could have gotten a sense of, you know, what's their role in all this? How innocent are they? And I wish we it, it played with that morality a bit more. Uh, there's also a few other touches that I really liked that I wish it also kind of carried over, which is there's a touch of absurdity to the whole occupation. Um, at one point, the um, Algerians try a form of non of peaceful resistance. Mm. Uh, instead of fighting, they're going to go on strike. So they literally just don't open all their businesses. They just stay home and they just let the French kind of try to you know, rule over nothing. Yeah. And eventually the French get so fed up with this, they just like call a kibosh on the, sp- on the strike, which leads to them basically tearing down the clothes signs, basically smashing in windows. So your businesses have to be open <laughs> yeah. and tearing people out of their homes and saying like, get back to work. And that scene is obviously quite tragic but also like it's kind of played for the absurdity of what it is like at a certain point like they're pulling the doors off of buildings like off of uh of storefronts and one of the uh french soldiers is like surfing on it a little bit like it's it yeah like it's just absolutely ridiculous like how the french responded to this level of instead of like any level-headed response they're like no of course we have to like show toughness of course we have to stomp our boot heels on these people even when they're doing it not peacefully so non-violently yeah i i'm glad you mentioned that i didn't see a funny interpretation to that but <laughs> i think that's a, that's a, a darkly the... comedic let's not, yeah. not okay not not, not not i wasn't like guffawing like oh, 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 oh they got them good yeah I I think it's a credit to the movie's realism. Same with, let's look at some of the other like acts of terrorism committed to the committed in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, not not an endorsement, but it does work on a kind of visceral level. Um, I mentioned earlier the three women who kind of coordinate this attack by putting themselves up, getting through the checkpoints with ease, and then coordinating when their bombs go off. Uh, one very effective scene. One appears to be in like an arcade or a dance hall, they, they all come out to the street, and when it seems like things are dying down, then another bomb explodes. Um, we kind of cut to another harness racing. I guess it also does show the, the decadence that um, the European <laughs> tourists had at the time. But yeah, that's, it seems like a diversion, like, oh, why are we at this harness racing all of a sudden? And then graphically, like a bomb goes off in the grandstand. <laughs> That's true. And that's the other credit to this film, like how convincing all those effects are. Like you mentioned the last standoff where Ali and his cohorts, uh, including a, a young boy, are trapped in this house and they are, well, the French forces decide to blow it up instead of negotiate a surrender. Mm-hmm. And yes, you see down the alleyway what it looks like, and it was, it was probably mostly styrofoam or whatever, but it looks like a legitimate building does crumble. No, yeah, and this, bu- and this movie was shot on a completely shoestring budget. It was you yeah. know, commissioned by like a government is kind of like an educational film but you know that doesn't mean they had a lot of money to play with and i think this movie does a great job for uh, how little they had to work with
deux années de lutte devaient encore passer. Et le 2 juillet 1962, avec l'indépendance, naquit la nation algérienne. So, again, I think a masterful job. Uh, Definitely no, worth not, anyone's time. I'm not saying time. it's bad. I'm not yeah. saying it's bad. I just, you know, I have my qualms. And, you know, yes. I have to be... I'm a contrarian by nature. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, th I think we've established John is wrong. And it's a brilliant <laughs> film. I got a lot of feeling of, like, bicycle thieves watching this. Did you get that? Oh, oh yeah. Well, I believe the director, Porta, Porta, uh, <laughs> Ponte Corvo, explicitly said he was looking at the at the Italian neorealist film, not necessarily uh, Bicycle Thieves, but uh, one before that, the one that really kind of set off this revolution in Italian cinema called Rome Open City, mm -hmm. which kind of follows these kids around. Like, you know, that's that was his big inspiration. So, yeah, so this was part of, you could consider it part of this Italian neorealism movement. Oh, okay. Yeah. Even though it came out two decades after? Hmm? Uh, technically, yes. <laughs> That's like no and Fellini, yeah, and Fellini stuck his big dick in there. <laughs> like I'm gonna, I'm gonna do a movie where my protagonist is a kite, and suddenly <laughs> he's flying over Sicily. And <laughs> is it a dream? There's all these women, and you know, whatever. I'm Italian. <laughs> Takes a drag on a cigarette. And should I call this movie eight? Yeah. No, eight and a half. Let's give it a little extra. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> a little extra for you. <laughs> The point is, I'm a film historian, and if you like, would like to read a recap like that, check out my upcoming book, <laughs> Big Dicks and Even Bigger Cinema. <laughs> I look at Italian. I'm trying to think of a way you can like pawn off a title of another famous book. Like, I'm trying to think, like, instead of Roger Ebert's great movies, it's Greg's great movies, but it's G-R-A-T-E. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How about movies to see while you're still alive? <laughs> 1001 movies that you can catch up with eventually yeah <laughs> i mean I, I i don't know why but i do love those lists i, I like to keep track of how many yeah. i've seen i don't know why like I, i've actually do keep track of how many of the 1001 movies to see before you die i'm at well, a, I, i'm at a solid 20 percent. i think it brings order to it mm. like there's a sense that somehow like progress or achievement <laughs> because i who the hell should define like what makes a great movie? Least of all us. I don't know why we're doing this. I mean... <laughs> well, I, th I think there's something about movies that kind of reach the popular culture like no other art form does, and so because mm -hmm. of that, it naturally becomes more competitive, like, and it becomes more of a kind of jeery kind of sport. Like, no one's like, oh, here are the ten best paintings ever painted from the <laughs> Renaissance. <laughs> well, no, yeah, because it's not movies aren't outdated yet. I mean, we'll see. <laughs> Oh, God, can you imagine in 50 years, like, oh, 15 best holograms of the last 50 years. <laughs> no, no, I'm picturing, like, like, like best multiplayer shooters, <laughs> like, <laughs> and, and the, the sick Generation Z today. Oh, <laughs> it's just, no. like, back in my day, <laughs> t telling, t explaining to their wasteland kids as another sandstorm blows them away. <laughs> Back in my day, we had Fort TikTok. <laughs> yeah, Fortnite, Fortnite was better than Apex Legend. Everybody agrees, and then a wildfire just comes and blows them away. <laughs> and you know, it wouldn't be that great a loss, let's be honest. <laughs> if they go out on that conversation, then... Yes. Fair enough. You'll get no argument from me. Yep. Well, Greg, since we're talking about rankings, and yeah. since we only provide the best in this podcast, I think we should... 
give them a few more recommendations. Number one ranked the best in the world. People are saying, people are talking. I mean, if you heard this, people are talking. People have told. People have told me. I've heard from the best experts. Many people are saying that this is the best recommendation segment ever. Okay, (laughs) I've I've been hearing it, right? And it's called. Shoot, I got to take my Adderall. (laughs) See, oh, I'm slurring. My my dentures are falling out. Oops, I made another boom boom in my diaper. (laughs) That's right, spotlight. 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 It's time, Robbie. It's time. I mean, you can you can drive the point home. So, like, people, this isn't a commonly known fact. uh, Donald Trump does not drink, but imagine all the pharmaceuticals that go into his body to make his brain that deteriorated. Exactly. I I live and die by the these two rumors. One, he does use diapers. <laughs> Look how fat his ass is. And number two, and this one at least is sourced, but he does require Adderall to like make any semblance of sense when he's speaking. <laughs> he needs those brain pills, those literal brain pills, not the not the kind that his that his uh, followers in conservative radio are selling you for seventy dollars a bottle <laughs> over the counter. But then I also read that that might like he might just have dyslexia, and then I would feel bad if he's had like an undiagnosed disorder this whole no, time. No, well that doesn't make up people... for a shitty personality. I don't know. Well, <laughs> yes, there's probably many things that he's not diagnosed with: narcissistic personality disorder okay, for one. Fair enough. Um, if not Alzheimer's, probably syphilis. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> anyway, John, let's steer it back in a positive direction. You're right, huh? positive direction. Okay, steering yeah. it, now, bringing it back around, bringing it back around. Yes, yes, in our brand new car. <laughs> anyway, John, last week I referenced Michael Hanukkah, one of my favorite filmmakers, <laughs> mm-hmm. the Austrian, and I thought, hey, why don't I spotlight my favorite film of his? Because yes, he does do very uh, deterministic, sad, dreary, uh, basically every stereotype of a European film that you can think of. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to shine a spotlight on the best example of that. And it's one that actually ties closely to the movie that we talked about this week. It's called Cachet, mm, or in I'm, English, Hidden. I'm familiar with this movie. Cause, you are familiar. Because you, you own it on DVD, don't you? Yes, I do. Mm-hmm. I... <laughs> a little little spotlight on me now. <laughs> you want to know the reason why I own it on, on DVD? Because it's part of the Criterion Collection? No. It's because I don't think this movie is on the Criterion Collection. I know a lot of Michael Hanukkah's movies are. Mm-hmm. But, John, do you remember back in the day when you and I would troll like uh, Sam Goody mm-hmm. and FYE for your entertainment, all these stores for mm-hmm. I don't know, what is essentially crap today, <laughs> including <laughs> DVDs, albums, maybe toys, like those stupid Funko Pop, not those Funko Pop figures, but something like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. a lot of nerd ephemera. Yes. I would uh, cycle through the used DVD bin, mm-hmm. and I would see a film that I knew would be divisive, and it's clear somebody thought, oh, this movie's terrible. Obviously, I'll just give it away to Sam Goody or something. And I thought, yes, that's probably only been viewed once <laughs> by a disappointed shopper, and now I'll gobble it up at a discount price. Oh, genius. Genius. Yep, see? But I believe you might. Sol- not just for used car buying advice, also used DVD buying advice. <laughs> I bet Solaris was also part of your DVD collection for that very reason. <laughs> but anyway, getting off topic. Cache. Jokes that only film snobs would know. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> anyway, we're getting off topic. Mm-hmm. Cache. Mm-hmm. This is a 2005 film from Michael Hanukkah. Uh, it basically follows, you probably don't know the plot at all. You've just seen it in my DVD collection. <laughs> I've seen it in your DVD collection. That's all yeah. I know. And I can picture the typography on the cover, but that's beyond Yes. The, so the plot follows this kind of aristocratic French family, and they get a mysterious tape in their mail. 
-hmm. And all it is is just showing the exterior of their house. Mm -hmm. There's nothing ominous about it. Well, obviously, the only ominous feature is that, yes, somebody knows who they are, where they live, and that they're filming them. Yeah. But there's nothing incriminating going on. And so it, it they have to the pass central. off the the tape in seven days, or else one of them will die. <laughs> Got it? No, John, you're th- you're thinking too uh, Americanized or, or J horror. <laughs> okay. This is European, John. Oh, of course, of course. Spoiler alert: We never really find out who is sending the tapes. Oh, great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My favorite endings are the unsatisfying ones. <laughs> yes. But we do learn a little bit about the Laurent family, particularly George. George is played by Daniel O'Toole, one of the best French actors. I hope he's still working. It's been a while since I've seen him, but uh, just an amazing French actor. And he plays the patriarch of this family. And we delve into his history a little bit, um, which ties into the France's colonial rule of Algeria. And so he kind of goes back to this family farm where he spent his summers, like desperately trying to find out like who is sending these tapes and who is kind of like peering in on him. And in contrast to the Battle of Algiers, everything's kind of shot a little bit wider, uh, like kind of two shots. Nothing's really handheld or up close or anything like that. And so once something striking does happen that I won't spoil mm-hmm. uh, between him and his his old friend from this farm who's from Algeria, like it is just that much more effective. So again, I just want to recommend it just as just a, a gripping thriller. Again, fair warning, potentially boring um, <laughs> for the for the um, let's say unsophisticated people out there who may oh, not get it. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but it ties into these themes of voyeurism and postcolonialism, and features some of my favorite actors, Daniel Daniel O'Toole, and also the exquisite Juliette Binoche. I mean, come on, John. Oh well, I, I can't that, say would that be enough to yeah. can't say no to the Binoche. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's the start of every meal, an amuse Binoche, right. if you will. Yeah. <laughs> Good one. Thank you. John, you brought it back. You won you won back our area night audience. <laughs> but it's absolutely it's absolutely rich uh with with texture and theme and fascinating filmmaking from Michael Hanukkah, I believe his best. So mm, Okay. I mean it does sound pretty approachable given the plot. It sounds very kind of uh Francis Ford Coppola conversation, I would say. So obviously Uh yeah, not as well not as gripping I'd say as like uh because at least, like, in the conversation, there's dream sequences, and there's, mm-hmm. you know, really delves into Harry Cole's personal life. It, it, here we get less than that. No. So, well, yeah. Again, no personal life. I don't care. <laughs> I don't, yeah. And at least in there, like, there's there's a suggestion of a murder or something mm-hmm. afoot, something nefarious afoot. Here we're just seeing the guy's house. I mean, come on. <laughs> also on a VHS tape of all things. Like, come on. I know. In 2005. Come on. I mean, we can't really suspect that these people are, like, a danger if they're still using VHS tapes. <laughs> I mean, we know they're creepy, but... Well, uh, yeah. I mean, come on. It is Europe. They're about 10 years behind the time. <laughs> okay. Technologies. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> well, Greg, sometimes the perfect spotlight just falls in your lap, even though I wanted to talk about this a month ago when it was relevant, but I'm going to talk about it now. <laughs> um okay. As a as I, a, John, you already talked about Rocket Man. <laughs> as a user of the AMC Stubbs app, I get exposed to movies that I didn't even know had opened actually, because uh, AMC also do, uh, partners with Fathom Events, and they'll tend mm-hmm. to bring very limited screenings to movies that don't have a wide appeal, but might have an, a certain appeal to uh, a certain audience. Uh, so a lot of anime films. Let's yeah. call it what it is. <laughs> I was, a lot of I was anime about to say, films. When are you going to get to either a classical orchestral performance, uh, an opera, or an anime film. <laughs> Which I know all three interest you, so there you go. <laughs> well, Greg, 
see, I'm disappointed in myself because as a fan of this particular anime series, I didn't even know that they had made a film, much less 10 years after the original series had ended. And yeah. you think I would know, like I would be like finger on the pulse, but apparently I didn't know until I'm scanning through and I'm like, Fathom Events, this one day event to watch this movie, and it's dubbed! <gasps> like, oh. And I completely missed it. But it still <laughs> gives me the perfect opportunity to recommend the one of three anime series that I'll recommend wholeheartedly without, because if, if I'm ever going to recommend something anime related, I have to be like, but I'm not one of those people, I swear. <laughs> <laughs> but this one I can recommend wholeheartedly and again, there's no better time to revisit it because it just came out with a new movie. It is called Code Geass, Lelouch uh, of the Rebellion. Oh, I know you're familiar with it, and I know you love it as much as I do. <laughs> the year, 2011. <laughs> oh, 2011, very relevant. The Royal Britannic <laughs> Army has, has conquered the planet, overtaking lands and re, and, re and numbering them, Just limiting their the people. Mech and his stupid superpowers and his stupid mech powers. <laughs> it's, basically, every assumption about uh, you have about anime's crappiest qualities are just basically ingested in this one series. And Put that's what by, makes it, it produced by Pizza Hut, I believe. Yes. Is that, is that right? Yes, they had a partner with Pizza Hut. So <laughs> lots of Pizza Hut promotions throughout the series. But you see, that's the great thing. Yes, every cliche you could ever imagine about an anime is in this series, so you just have to watch this one because it's so well done. And the character <laughs> so designs well are exaggerated. <laughs> Everyone's acting with their hands. Everyone's wearing, like, big Elizabethan, like, ridiculous costumes. It's great. It's everything you could ever possibly want. And the greatest quality of it is the plot moves at an amazing clip. So much happens in a single episode as opposed to your standard anime, which is, like, it has to be a three-episode arc. Here's, like, a whole episode where they just <laughs> sit back and forth and talk for three hours because I know. animation is expensive. Goku is still powering up, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> but the original season one, Lelouch of the Rebellion, lasted 26 episodes, and it did so well they commissioned a season two. And <laughs> shocking, I know. <laughs> I'd shut up. So it's a solid 52 episodes. It's perfect. Um, perfect length. <laughs> perfect. Yeah, like, John, go ahead and explain its perfect uh, qualities. Okay, fine. All right. The Royal Britannian Army has conquered the land, and it's conquered Japan specifically. You know it wasn't an anime if Japan wasn't the underdog. So yeah. <laughs> um, they've conquered Japan, and uh, they've renamed it Area 11. And they've demoted the Japanese as second-class citizens, taken away their heritage. They now call them 11s. Anyway, Lelouch, former prince of Britannia, I believe he was 111th in line or whatever. Mm -hmm. The numbers are important. Um, yeah. He was cast to Japan because his mother was murdered and he wasn't feeling like his father was doing enough. He's cast to um, Japan like within a year of this invasion. So this invasion was kind of like an excuse to kill him off. He survives and he is now living under the assumed name Lelouch Lampluge. Yeah. It's complicated. Anyway. Yep. Sorry. Let me let's just make the obvious joke. Lelouch, more like Le Jerk. Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. So that is the great part about the series. If you love Breaking Bad, there's no reason why you shouldn't love this series. Because it follows the exact same plot, pretty much. Because Lelouch is a dick, and he is a villain. Like, square to a T. There is one episode in particular. I love it to death. It's like the 25th episode. He like murders like a whole throng of civilians and he just laughs maniacally it's genius i mean just <laughs> i love it um it's over the top and ridiculous and lelouch is just an unrepentant asshole 
<laughs> yeah. So you've mentioned his brainwashing powers, right? No, I have not. I forgot to mention okay. he has brainwashing powers. <laughs> yeah. Um, he is blessed with this ability called Gios, which uh, there's there's several different Gios users throughout the series, but his power in particular manifests itself so that he is able to look at someone, make direct eye contact, tell them what to do, and then they have to do it. Uh, he can only use this power on this person once, and so a majority of the time he ends up using it to make these people kill themselves. Because one of the great qualities about Lelouch is the fact that he's very cerebral, he's a you know, evil genius, but also he's weak as shit. <laughs> and there's a few okay. uh, comedic set pieces where the series where he has to like do something physical, like run, and he's just absolutely atrocious at it. So, yeah. <laughs> like most anime characters, he's uh, maybe about 80 pounds. <laughs> He's like a stick, a wireframe. Yeah, eight, 80 pounds, but about six foot four or something. <laughs> six foot eight with the hair. <laughs> but the fact that he's physically uh, inept puts him in contrast with his rival slash best friend, Suzaku. Suzaku is uh, a native-born uh, Japanese uh, boy who grew up with Lelouch when he first moved there, and they became fast friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and their conflicting personalities, their conflicting philosophies are, are one of the main uh, dramatic stakes of the series. Uh, obviously, Lelouch wants to tear down the Britannian army. He's going to do that by forming a terrorist cell and eventually just blowing up. And, you know, ends justify the means. Doesn't matter who I kill as long as I get what I want, even though he justifies it to himself as like, I'm making a better world for my sister. But again, in classic Breaking Bad fashion, it's like, no, you're doing this for yourself, asshole. Um, Suzaku, on the other hand, wants to work within a system that technically calls him a number and doesn't treat him like one. He tries to work his way up through the system, even though he's a Japanese by birth, and these are British people we're talking about. They obviously care about bloodline a lot. Um, And in contrast, Suzaku is physically, you know, he just does the most absurd things. There's one episode where he runs up a wall and kicks like a ceiling-mounted turret. It's stupid, but also... Okay, yeah. Com- John, John, just be careful. People might be listening to this while they're driving and they're on the edge of their seats. <laughs> um. I'm just... I'm, I'm getting to the finer details, Greg. These are all important okay. plot points. All right. Yeah. I, I, get, to the, get to the blonde-haired girl. What's her name? Like C, C4? First of all, it's green. <laughs> oh, sorry. And it goes down to her knees because she's immortal, all right? Oh, okay. And her name is C2, spelled CC for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> but she's the one who bestows uh, Lelouch with his mind control powers, and she has her own motivations that uh, Lelouch is not privy to. And again, her power set is kind of unknown throughout most of the series. But you eventually learn, and, and things develop, and there's robot fights, and massive armies clashing, and you know, big, dramatic, sweeping uh, soliloquies as hands go up in the air, and they always end with, however. You know, it's, it's great. <laughs> I love it. I love every second of it. And if you're not sold by now, I can't help you. <laughs> great. Um, so anyway, thank you everybody. That's seven minutes you won't get back. <laughs> so I'm sorry we took them from you, but uh, we'll, we'll do our best to make it up for you. John, how can we make it up to them? Well, you can follow us on social media for all of the just the juiciest content. Because your life is now content, and you're part of the content mill, whether you like it or not. And so here yeah. we are. Exactly. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash aspiringsnobs, all one word. Mm-hmm. Twitter.com slash aspiringsnobs, all one word. Instagram.com slash aspiringsnobs, I believe all, all one word, right? Yes, all one word. No okay, underscores here, baby. Nope. <laughs> Get that shit out of here. <laughs> 
And of course, we're, we're on a, we also have this email. We're on this information superhighway, and we have an email, aspiringsnobs at gmail.com, all one word, so that where you can send us all your missives about this latest episode. Tell John how wrong and stupid he is about this stupid anime series that he likes. <laughs> and tell Greg that you have no interest in seeing Cache because it's, or it's foreign and weird. <laughs> No, it's great. Anyway, we're also taking recommendations there, so if you do have a classic movie that you think we should watch, go ahead and send it our way. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll, if you write us a nice enough email, maybe we'll read it out loud and give you a shout-out. Wouldn't you like that? Yeah, the, absolutely. The attention economy will be on you guys. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And if you send us a mean email, well, we're not going to read it, and our feelings will be really, really hurt. Yes. Um, if you do have a mean email or missive to send, please don't do it on your podcast service, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. Go ahead, flip it around, turn that frown <laughs> upside down, and make it a five-star review. That way more people will find the show, basically be uh, increasing the discussion. You'll be joining the conversation. Everybody loves to join conversations and butt in when they can. So, you know... I agree! <laughs> And we'll basically build an aspiring snobs community where we can all like try to better ourselves in the in the arena of film. Exactly. We can all learn about the Battle of Algiers and yes, just learn and just get a nice depressing reminder of the <laughs> the history of colonialism. Yay! <laughs> yeah. That said, John, we do have a schedule for every one of our upcoming movies. Uh, ooh. So this one's kind of still up in the air because okay. someone's on vacation. Hmm. I, it's not a vacation. I'll be at work. Oh, All right. I'll oh. be doing work. That's right, Greg. God's work, namely. <laughs> Greg's going on a missions trip, even though he's yes. already been there before. So a short, short missions trip. It looks like missions trip. It looks like uh, you know God's work isn't being done at a quick enough pace, if you ask me. <laughs> I think God might have wanted to send more qualified people, if you were to ask me. But, <laughs> but yes, next week uh, we still haven't quite figured out who what we're watching, but we're gonna have a special guest. Ooh. Yes, it's going to be me and a, a co-host to be named later. A fellow podcaster, I believe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you'll get the same level of experience and professionalism <laughs> that you expect from me, Greg. <laughs> this is why I let Greg talk most of this episode, because I'm like, oh, he needs it. He's going to go a whole I'm... week without his podcast, so he'll be like, but I have so many opinions. <laughs> I'm fine. He'll be bursting I'm... at the seams. <laughs> I'm okay. I look forward to, though, uh, rousing you <laughs> about all the films I'll be seeing on the plane. Oh, so. okay. Ah, that's, oh boy. Look forward to that spotlight <laughs> from yeah. two weeks from now. Can't wait to see what Greg's thought on The Hustle is. <laughs> yeah. Or The Greatest Showman. Maybe I'll catch up with that. No. no okay. <laughs> uh, spoiler alert. He turns out The Greatest Show is his family. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I were kidding. That's literally how it is. <laughs> Well, there's no beating that. You have that to look forward to next week. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And until next time, keep aspiring. <laughs> <laughs>